Welcome to the 29th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, the NBA Week in Review, a look back at the Sweet 16, and a preview of the Elite Eight in NCAA men's basketball action. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. Those are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start off in the NBA where the Pacers beat the Mavericks 109-94. to Patrick incorrectly picked the Mavericks. The Jazz beat the Grizzlies 117-114, to and Patrick correctly picked the Jazz. Uh, for those of you who listen every week, he's despite the Jazz's success, Patrick has had a knack for picking the Jazz in the, the few games that they lose uh, every week. All right, moving on, the Clippers beat the 76ers 122-112. to Patrick incorrectly picked the 76ers, and the Suns beat the Hornets 101-97 in overtime with Patrick correctly picking the Suns in that game, meaning he went 2-2 two and two in his NBA Hoops predictions. We will go into detail on Patrick's predictions for the Sweet 16 action in college basketball later in the podcast, uh, but Patrick, as you will hear in detail, went 5-3 and three in those predictions. So Patrick was 7-5 and five overall in this weekend's predictions, bringing him to 94-57 and 57 overall, a 623 winning percentage this season. Patrick, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, first of all, I'd like to mention if the record seems off from last week, that's because I did a little uh, backtracking and counted every single pick that I'd ever made. I think there were a few mathematical errors, maybe one a Super Bowl, maybe I didn't include something like that. But um, So I corrected that. Now this is the up-to-date, accurate uh, information. I also have that linked at the top of my website, a running Google Sheets of that uh, that record that I will continue to update. Uh, Yeah, the Jazz broke the curse finally. Uh, All it took was me writing only one line on my website that literally just said, this needs no explanation, they will break the curse. They actually beat the Grizzlies twice, so it's not about me picking one game or the other. (laughs) Um, On the other hand... beat the Grizzlies. Yes, but on the other hand, again, I pick somebody, and the second I pick them, their best player gets hurt. Luka Doncic just randomly decided that his back was a little too sore to play against Indiana. Um, so that's why that pick was wrong, but that was uh, crazy. And then also, I think I picked the 76ers against the Clippers. I think that's already happened twice this season. I think I picked it wrong both times. Uh, so I guess I'm not picking that matchup I, if it happens in the playoffs, which probably not going to happen. Uh, but if it happens in the playoffs, I'm going to stay away from it. <laughs> Well, the Jazz Grizzlies game that you picked, it wasn't like, I mean, it was a three-point oh, game. Oh, it was not it was even, it wasn't, but the other thing was, you were watching it with me. It yeah. wasn't close for the whole game, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> the Grizzlies decided that they wanted to play really, really close at the end to make me worry about it, but yeah. in the end, the Jazz got I, the I, win, I, so. I definitely thought the Patrick curse was going to come into play watching that game, but the Jazz managed to pull it out. All right, well, Patrick's pr- predictions for next weekend will be on our website, uh, 4thand24.com, on Thursday, as we mentioned. Since we've talked a little about the NBA, let's move to our weekly NBA recap segment where, as always, we start with Patrick's top three most impressive teams of the week. Patrick, who's number one on the list? The Sacramento Kings, a four-game win streak, uh, 4-0 all this week. They beat the Cavs twice, the Hawks and the Warriors. Uh, and also, if you didn't see it, you should probably look at how they beat the Cavs the second time around. Uh, probably the best play of the weekend, maybe... It maybe it wouldn't have been. It it almost got one upped actually today in the or yesterday in the men's basketball tournament by uh, Alex Rosas on on Alabama making a shot at the end of the half to at the end of the second half to force overtime. But then they got 
destroyed in overtime. So didn't count as much as Harrison Barnes' buzzer beater that he hit. But uh, crazy game. Crazy games all week, actually. Uh, but yeah, very great week for the Kings. They needed to do. So, they needed to get on a run if they want to make it into the playoffs. So. Well, for, pe- for people who didn't see that game or might not be able to, to find it, describe the final 10 seconds of the game. Uh, yeah, there were three shots that you would assume would be game winners in any other game. De'Aaron Fox had a had a tying layup that then was also an and one, and he made the free throw to go ahead. Colin Sexton then made a layup of his own to put the Cavs up by one. And then there was a buzzer beater by Harrison Barnes to push the Kings over the top. Uh, a buzzer beater, but in the NBA, usually the team has its timeout so they can advance it from half court. It this was, was a football pass all the way, all the way down the court. Pass, yep. Full court, one point seven seconds left. One point nine uh, when they inbound. The yeah, ball. I think so. And also, uh, somebody suggested that uh, New Orleans needs a quarterback, and De'Aaron Fox actually responded to that comment on Instagram and said, "I'd be happy to go there." That's hilarious. <laughs> but, we, might hear, we might hear a little more about De'Aaron Fox later. Let's move to your uh, second most impressive team of the week. In the I gave it the to the Jazz. They went four and zero. They beat the Bulls. They beat the Grizzlies twice, as I mentioned. They're on a five game winning streak. But the most impressive thing of the week is obviously not beating the Bulls or the Grizzlies. They beat the Nets by 30. Look, I don't care who's playing for the Nets because you can ask any of the Nets' last 10 opponents and they will all tell you they are still much better than us because they have James Harden. And frankly, if we saw how good Houston was with James Harden, this is about the equivalent of that team no matter who's out as long as Harden is playing. So... When you look at it that way, beating that that team by 30, if the Jazz had beaten the Rockets by 30 a few years ago, they might have been major buyers at the trade deadline to try to win a championship. Uh, but overall, you know, the Jazz had a little bit of a slump. Not not necessarily a slump, but they they kept the ones they kept the number one overall position in the standings in the West. Uh, but but a little bit under their expectations for a tiny bit right before the All-Star break and a little bit after, but here they are rounding into form again. Who knows, they might go on a crazy run again. All right, and who's your third most impressive team of the week? I gave it to the New York Knicks because they went 3-0. and They beat the Wizards twice, and they beat the Bucks. And as crazy as it sounds, those Eastern Conference standings are so jam-packed that the Knicks are now in the four seed in the East which is absolutely insane. But look, that's how the East works. Um, I think it's still this... I, 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 there was a point where I think it was two and a half games separating the four seed through the 11 seed or the five seed through the 11 seed. And that means that, look, some team, one team wins three games and all of a sudden they're at six in the conference from all the way down from 11. And that's basically what the Knicks did this week. I think they were in seventh or eighth to start the week. And yeah, here they are all the way at fourth. All right, well, let's move to the most disappointing teams of the week, and we have a change at the top of the leaderboard and no mention of the Houston Rockets this week. I'm sorry to be a spoiler, but <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you win a game after losing 20 in a row. Uh, who's your most disappointing team of the week? I gave it to the Miami Heat. They are on a six-game losing streak. They lost to the Suns, the Trailblazers, and the Hornets. Uh, I mean, the losses are sort of excusable. The Trailblazers game was very, very close, and they actually lost that game in heartbreaking fashion because they ran a great play to get Bam out of bio to win, to get what, again, another game where it should have been a game-winning shot. But somebody decided that it would be a good idea to foul Dame Lillard on the last shot of the game uh, when they were only down, when they were only up by one. So, of course, fouling Dame Lillard on a three when you're only up by one, yeah, you lose the game. So, Dame put that game to rest. Uh, that, that one's not really that bad. Uh, Suns lost, not too bad. But the Hornets without LaMelo Ball is kind of a head shaker, is a head scratcher. That's not what you want to do 
if you're trying to repeat as the conference champions, although I don't, I don't know if they're going to do that because the Nets are the Nets exist. Um, <laughs> but frankly, the Heat look—they're getting some reinforcements soon. Oladipo has still been injured; uh, he hasn't been able to play yet. But I think eventually they're going to integrate him in the lineup. But you know, when you're on a six-game losing streak with your team and now you're in- introducing new players, that's not a great starting point to to go off of. All right, and how about uh, your number two most disappointing team of the week? Gave it to the Warriors. You know, it wasn't about... I, I get it. They they, are, they don't have their players right now. Draymond was injured for a few games this week. Curry's been injured for all the games. But in reality, four-game losing streak. They're the only other team other than the Heat who went 0-3 this week. Even the Timberwolves won a game. Yes, I just said that. Uh, the Timberwolves actually beat the Rockets after the Rockets won a game. So <laughs> you got both of those two teams winning games, which means that got to go to somebody. Um... But the Warriors lost to the 76ers, the Kings, and the Hawks. Again, not not too bad, but at the same time, if you saw the way that the Kings played against the Warriors, you would think that the Kings were the Lakers or something because the Warriors just looked like they had no answer for anything that the Kings did, no matter who it was, whether it was Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, it, it didn't matter. The Kings were just absolutely... It was even Kyle Guy was coming off the bench and knocking down threes. It looked like it was Virginia in college again. Um... The Warriors' defense was just atrocious through those last few games, and look, they need to step it up if they want to if they want to keep winning. So, all right, and let's wrap it up. The third most disappointing team of the week in the NBA. I had to give it to the Mavericks. Uh, really, honestly, there weren't a lot of bad teams this week. As I said, all the bad teams actually somehow found a way that they scheduled each other and ended up beating each other a few times. Uh, and then there were no really really good teams that went that had awful records other than the Heat. So the Mavericks at 1-2 and two get it just because they only beat the Timberwolves this week and also played the Pacers and the Pelicans, which, yes, the Pacers, they played them without Luka, but those are still two winnable games. I would expect if you want if if you told me those three games before the season were on their schedule, I would say they're going 3-0 in those games. Uh, that, that, that is the level that they were, that they're expected to be at. Um, if you told me Luka's out for one of them, I'd say, okay, fine, they're 2-1, Maybe they still do go three and zero because they still have a chance to be better than the Pacers without that. But yeah, and and they lost the game that you predicted them to win, so that doesn't help them in your mind. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to the player of the week, um, it looks like you know we we talked a little bit about the NBA, NBA trading deadline, our last podcast, and then in addition to the trading deadline, it looks like Lamarcus Aldridge is signing with the Nets. Um, what does that mean in terms of the Nets and the rest of the NBA? So there are a few things that that it means. For one, in the current moment, the Nets need to get Kevin Durant back on the floor so that their lineup actually has any semblance of synergy going into the playoffs. I don't think that there's anybody, if they were playing in the West and they got unlucky and let's say the the Lakers, if you look at how they've been playing with their players injured, if LeBron's out for four weeks and AD's still out for that long... Look, the Lakers might end up as like a 7 or an 8 seed in the way. It's it's really possible when you look at how good all the teams are in the West. So if they were in the West and they had to play the Lakers in the first round and they have no synergy, I would maybe even pick the Lakers there. But uh, I think that's the most important thing for them. But for but to move on from their individual uh, team, team-based team uh, expectations, the East has got to be so mad about this because every team in the East saw LeBron go to the West and said, we finally have a chance to make the NBA Finals. And all of a sudden, Brooklyn comes out from the shadows, never been good, not not anywhere near good recently, 
And all of a sudden, they have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. Now, if you had told those those East teams that that was going to happen, they would ask to have LeBron back in the East. <laughs> um, this team is ridiculous. This might be the best team of all time if they end up winning the title. If and I honestly, yeah. if they can stay healthy, yes. I think they could literally, if, if they're healthy, if Kevin Durant, I would say just if Kevin Durant is healthy, out of those six players, if five of the six of them are healthy and Kevin Durant is not the one who isn't there, I would say they could literally sweep the entire playoffs. They might, they could go through the playoffs without losing a game. They could do something very close to what the Warriors did um, when they swept the Cavs in the finals and also swept the Blazers in the in the Western Conference Finals. And in terms of all-time NBA history, if LeBron James does not get Andre Drummond, and LeBron James takes a team that beat the Miami Heat, who have maybe one, let's say, let's say all-time expectations, one Hall of Famer on their team. I'd say Jimmy Butler is is probably there. Um, if he takes that team that only won one in six games against that team, the exact same team, pretty much different role players. Yeah, sure. And they don't get Drummond. I would say that if he beats this Nets team, he wins the GOAT conversation because this is the best team that anybody will have ever have to have gone through. Because when we're talking about six All-Stars, we're not talking about six All-Stars. We're talking about three MVP players. We're talking about two guys who were the centerpieces of a franchise that was that was that was that was clowned on because they never made the Western Conference Finals when they were always supposed to be one of the best teams in the West obviously referring to Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, and then LaMarcus Aldridge, who, look, look, all the centers that they have are kind of out of their prime, but at the same time, they're still great players. They can still play. So if LeBron's able to beat this team without Drummond, I say he solidifies himself in the GOAT conversation for the finals. But if he gets Drummond, I think he has enough help that you can maybe say the conversation still stands because, look, he, AD and Drummond are no slouches. They are better than what the Nets have outside of Kyrie and James Harden. And there you go, you got three versus three. That's that's enough for me to take that take that level back down. But if he does not have Drummond, he wins the GOAT conversation if he's able to beat this team. I don't see anybody beating this team if, if they're healthy. And what if the Nets are healthy and they don't win the title? If the Nets are healthy and they don't win the title, they're the biggest disappointment of all time. It, I, I think it's that simple. Wow. I think James Harden would also, that would give the biggest hit to anybody's individual legacy that any title loss would have ever done. Um, I think Kevin Durant, he when you look at it, yeah, I mean this would be this would be a bad one for him too, but at least he has the two titles to right. talk about. Um, I think it would be pretty bad because he has a history of switching teams because he can't win, um, which is not a good look at all. Whereas James Harden was at least loyal for the first nine or so years after after OKC. Um, and then Kyrie also has won championships, but Harden, Harden hasn't won a championship. So on an individual level, this would probably be a huge disappointment. Uh, maybe, I mean, probably doesn't hit on his legacy that much because when he was on that Rockets team, I don't think anybody ever said that he needs to win a title there, but probably at some point he was supposed to, so... All right, well, um, interesting little sidebar there. We'll see what happens uh, when the Nets get healthy and with the rest of the NBA season. Let's uh, re- let's cap our recap, cap off our recap of uh, the NBA by talking about your player of the week. I gave it to De'Aaron Fox of Sacramento. Not the first time this year, but whenever Sacramento gets on a win streak, it's always because of this guy. Um, 
if there was ever an MVP that went to, if there was an MVP that could, that was uh, required to not go to a former MVP, I think De'Aaron Fox would be the front runner this year because every single time the Kings win a game, it's on his shoulders. And when they don't win it on his shoulders, it's a rare sight to see, honestly. Um, 36.8 points per game this week. He led the NBA in scoring on at least two, two nights this week. I don't know. I think he probably did a third time, but wasn't quite paying attention to that. Three and a half rebounds per game, five and a half assists, two steals on 64% shooting. He also had a buzzer beater last week, and then he had the pass for a buzzer beater this week. Uh, He's being Mr. Clutch, and he is efficient. 64% for a guard is insane. I mean, we've seen James Harden score 60 points all the time, but most of the time he takes 30 shots to get there. If If he plays at this efficiency... Sacramento's going to be going to make the playoffs. And frankly, right now, they're one game back of the Warriors for the final play-in game spot and one and a half games back of the Grizzlies for the ninth spot. And if you've seen that playoff format, the nine plays the 10 and then the winner of that game, loser is eliminated, winner plays the winner of seven versus eight, I believe, uh, or, or the winner, the loser of seven versus eight and the seven, the, the winner of that game is in the playoffs. Uh, they could really, and, and honestly, if they were playing right, if they're playing well at the right time, they could easily beat those teams that are at that level. All right. Well, and as you said, he his uh, his pass may have been more impressive than the game winning shot of that. Or any of the forty point games that he's had. Yeah, also, really. looks like he's really mad about not being named an All Star. His maybe maybe somebody told him that next time if his stats are at twenty four points per game instead of twenty two, he might get there. And uh, well, it only took him ten games to go three points per game up in an average, which is pretty insane. Crazy. All right. Quite an impressive week for De'Aaron Fox. That wraps up our look back at the NBA. Let's turn our attention to college basketball, where due to the unique schedule, the NCAA men's basketball tournament this weekend featured games on Saturday and Sunday uh, in in the Sweet 16, and then Monday and Tuesday featured the four Elite Eight games. So let's start uh, by talking about the action in the Elite Eight on Saturday. The 12-seeded Oregon State Beavers defeated the 8-seeded Loyola Chicago Ramblers 65-58. I honestly was not expecting this result because I think Loyal Chicago played at a pace where they could really slow down Oregon State and that might bother them uh, due to them not getting enough shots up. But overall, Oregon State played a pretty great game uh, after maybe the first few minutes where both teams just decided they didn't feel like scoring, uh, especially Oregon State. Uh, Very ugly game to begin with, but you know, I think I had the read on the optics right, but not on the team who won. Yeah, that was an ugly game. It started like 7-1. to one. It was a baseball score. All right, let's move on to uh, number one-seeded Baylor, also on Saturday, in Saturday's action, defeating number five-seeded Villanova, 62-51. to 51. I think if Villanova's overall body of work came with Colin Gillespie, then they were drastically under-seeded. Um, looking at this performance, look, they lost by 11 in, in a very low-scoring game. But they had the lead at half, and they were really commanding the game. Uh, Baylor pretty much took charge only because in the second half they had, I think, a spurt probably six to seven minutes long where uh, Villanova turned the ball over five times in a row, and Baylor got eight layups in a row, and I think that really just ended the game there. But Baylor was really put to the test against Villanova, and I don't even think I don't even know if Arkansas can put them to the test as much as uh, Villanova did. But look, Villanova had another great season, really proving that they're worth that they're worth all the recognition they get in this sport. Um, without their best player, made it all the way to the Sweet 16 and almost beat a team that was 
pretty much ranked no, that was that was ranked by some as number one throughout the season until they lost a game. All right, and the third game uh, played this weekend in the Sweet 16. Number three seeded Arkansas slipped by 15 seeded Oral Roberts 72 to 70. If you would have told Oral Roberts before the season that Max A. Smith would lead Division One in scoring after Luca Garza did it the year before in a major conference, that you'd have a mid-major conference lead, scoring leader again, and it would be on their team, and they would be in the Sweet 16 with him having the ball with two seconds left and a look at three, a clean look at that even, they would say, we had the best season we will ever have. And frankly, they did. And that shot almost went down. It was inches away from going down. We almost had... Three double-digit seeds in the Elite Eight, including a 15 seed. It would have been crazy, uh, although I will say I don't have any faith in Arkansas beating Baylor, so I definitely wouldn't have had any faith in Oral Roberts. Uh, Baylor Baylor is probably Oral Roberts' worst nightmare, so I think this is probably the best way for them to go out because I, I think they might have been embarrassed by Baylor because Baylor's got three great defensive guards, and I think that's going to be the difference against Arkansas too. So Yeah. Arkansas was just very lucky they to, 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 to get past that game and survive. All right, the final game of the Sweet 16 on Saturday. Number 11 Syracuse was absolutely demolished by Houston, the two seed, 62-46. to Again, another team. Syracuse had a pretty great run. Um, Bayheim is is still one of the best coaches, and it's not. It's undeniable. Uh, the, he's He outcoached, I think, every team in the tournament that they played, including Houston. I just don't think his players were able to execute the plan. And if you watched Houston, they they have three-point shooters. This was the first time pretty much all season that Syracuse ran into a team that could sh- just sh- shoot from so far away from their zone that if they that if they tried to contest the shot, they'd get beat inside on shot fakes over and over and over again. Uh, Quentin Grimes, he didn't have the most efficient shooting night, but I also would like to say that Houston, whether it was accidental or on purpose— Every single miss they had was long and led to an offensive rebound, it felt like. Um, and I think that was a huge part of this game, is that they got so many extra opportunities that, look, if you're going to make one out of two threes, but you're going to get an offensive rebound on every single one of them, that's that's almost the same as scoring on every possession. So, uh, overall, Houston played a pretty great game, honestly. Um, 62 points against Syracuse. Look, if you're holding them to 46 and you're playing at that slow of a pace, I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Buddy Bayham's magic ended. Didn't shoot well. Yeah. End of end of end of the story for that. I game. think I think Houston decided. I think Houston figured out had five had five days to prepare for him and put together a pretty great plan for him too. Yep. All right. Well, Sunday's first two games featuring uh, number one seeds were not close. Number one overall seed Gonzaga destroyed number five seed Creighton, eighty three to sixty five, and number one seed Michigan easily handled number four seed Florida State, seventy six to fifty eight. I think this does not say that much about Florida State or about Creighton seasons. I think it says more about Gonzaga and Michigan, especially Michigan. Um, I think the reason why it says so much about Michigan is because they're still doing this without Isaiah Livers. This is not this team's best form. This is like 95%. I, the 95% is too much, actually. This is 80, 85 to 90% of this team's full strength. Um, Brandon Jones has done a great job stepping in for Isaiah Livers, but he was already getting minutes anyway. It's not like he was not playing. He just wasn't playing as much, and Livers was playing a different role that he was. Uh, but I don't think his role has changed too much. It's just that his role has been uh, kind of extrapolated over more minutes. 
But overall, that just says a lot because Florida State was supposed to lock Michigan down defensively, and if you looked at that game, I mean, Michigan really, outside of turnovers in the second half, it felt like they scored on every, not only every possession, on every shot. It seemed like they were layups or... And there was a point where, actually, they said it, 17 of the 18 buckets in the second half were in the paint. Uh, Florida State just could not stop Michigan from getting into the paint. Uh, whether it was a guard driving, whether it was a whether it was a good screen switch that was able to be found, uh, that zone did not really work all day. And overall, great game by Michigan. Uh, but Gonzaga, Gonzaga, they they just score too much to be beaten by a team that's that's only at the level that Creighton is. I, I said it on the podcast before that I didn't think Creighton had a chance, not because they were bad, but because there is a certain level that you have to be at to be able to be in a game with Gonzaga, and then you have to have things go your way or you play extremely well. Creighton is just barely below that level. Um, I think you saw it in this game that they they shot 40%, but they let Gonzaga shoot 61. Uh, they let them get offensive rebounds. They got some of their own, but they weren't able to convert on that on their opportunities. So, um, look, Gonzaga does, Gonzaga does not have the weakness that we thought they did of not being able to of not locking in on defense. They are playing great defense now. Creighton is a great offensive team, and holding them to 65 at the pace that Gonzaga plays at is frankly pretty good. Especially when you consider that I think this game both teams had 30 points like 10 minutes in the first half. Um, this game was on a ridiculous pace at some point. So overall, one seed's very impressive, looking like they picked the right one seeds, with the exception of Illinois. <laughs> All right, well, let's move to the game of the weekend, probably the game of the tournament. Number 11 seeded UCLA upset number two seeded Alabama, 88 to 78 in overtime. Yeah, I referenced earlier that uh, Rosas made that shot to send it into over, or Rojas, sorry, uh, made that shot to bring it into overtime. But what does it matter if he plays zero minutes in overtime and they lose the game? Uh, obviously, not not saying Alabama's that's a bad coaching decision or anything. That is just not, he's just not in their starting lineup. Uh, Frankly, UCLA almost threw this game away. This game should not have gone into overtime. Uh, they made, they did everything right. They got the stop. Well, they got lucky that Herb Jones missed a few free throws. But yes. one, at a certain point, they got the lead but to one. They got the stop that they needed. And then they made two free throws to put it to three with five seconds left. That should have ended the game. Right there, you got a foul or you got to not let them catch the inbounds. You got to pick one that you're going to do. If you're going to let them catch the inbounds, you got to make it catch the you got to make them catch it way up court and then you got to foul them. So I, I you think certainly that you don't trap the guy at half court leaving a, a wide a, yeah. leaving a wide open three-point shooter. Yeah, uh it was not it was not very well played at the end, but you know what? They pulled the game out in overtime even with their even with Johnny Juzang in uh not even foul trouble out of the game, got fouled out uh, I think two and a half ish minutes left. So Overall, still UCLA is on a great run, and uh, I bet the I bet the tournament is very happy that in the year where all the blue bloods, pretty much all of them missed the tournament, they still got one in the elite eight. <laughs> yeah, not the one that anybody was expecting. Uh, yeah, this the other thing is Alabama was eleven for twenty five from free throws on free throws, forty four percent. Yeah, that's... they UCLA was twenty of twenty five. I mean, Alabama goes seventy five percent from the line. They win this game by seven. In regulation, as you mentioned, they missed two key free throws at the end. But and to be fair to Herb Jones, to be fair to Herb Jones, he did, he 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 missed also not to not to not to crush Alabama's spirit so much, but he did miss two front ends of one and ones. Mm. Uh, although I will say one of them was after he got his leg uh, taken out right. and he was shooting on a limp on a limp. Uh, actually, since he's a lefty, it was his lead foot too. 
uh, for half the game, so that's not really fair. But he didn't take all their free throws. There are definitely some other people who missed free throws, and that's not that, that you can't win games like that. There's something I need you to look up. Um, after scoring 25 points in the second half of this game, UCLA scored 23 points in overtime. That, that's got to be near a record for a five-minute overtime, at least in an NCAA tournament game. 23 points they scored in overtime. I heard that's that. Baffling. I heard that note on television. They scored 25. It was four, they had 40 at the half. 65-65, they end up scoring 88 points. They scored 23 points in overtime. Alabama was falling a little bit, but still. Oh, they fouled for a long time. Yeah. They fouled long enough that they had uh, opposing fans booing at a tournament game for fouling to try to extend the game. In <laughs> tournament games, nobody boos because everybody knows it's all on the line. You got to foul for a really long time. Uh, and they were still fouling down eight, which is pretty ridiculous. Well, clearly uh, yeah. Leonard Hamilton doesn't coach Alabama. All right, uh, that's a little inside joke. Okay, let's move on to the final game of the Sweet 16. Number six, USC throttled number seven seeded Oregon, 82-68. Okay, so I was wrong. I thought Oregon was going to learn from what they did in the first game and play better, and they literally played the exact same. They scored 21 points in the first half of the first game. They scored 21 points in the first half of this game. Uh, They didn't learn anything, frankly. Uh, They still scored less than 70 points. They weren't able to hold USC down very much, and... I mean, overall, USC's just playing great. Um, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but there's this team called Gonzaga that they have to play in the next round. So, frankly, enjoy your wins while you have them. Yes. Well, so when we talked about your weekend predictions, so you correctly picked Baylor, Arkansas, Houston, Michigan, and Gonzaga. You were looking really good until those last two games. You had Alabama and Oregon, so you ended up going 5-3, uh, and three. For the, for the weekend in your college basketball. And we both had Loyal Chicago, which was wrong, yeah. Correct. That's the other one. And I went 6-2, and two, so but uh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> for once, I outpicked Patrick. That's worth noting. All right, let's move on. So we've talked about the Sweet 16 uh, results. Let's move on to the Elite Eight. Uh, these games, as we mentioned, are being played Monday and Tuesday, and we'll determine this year's Final Four. Let's start with a look at Monday's game. For Monday's first game, number two, Houston, plays the number 12-seeded Oregon State Beavers in the West Region Final. I think Oregon State, in the opposite manner of the Jazz, uh, the Jazz don't want me to pick them because every single time I pick them, they lose. I think Oregon State wants me to pick Houston so that they win again because I, for some reason, every time I pick against them, they win. Um, I haven't picked them to win a single game this tournament, and they've won all of them, so there you go. You probably didn't pick them to win a game in the Pac-12 tournament. I definitely wouldn't have. Um, (laughs) Well, maybe maybe to beat UCLA, but not to beat Oregon. this game is going to be great. Um, there's a lot of guard talent on, on both teams, which I think is what makes basketball great. I, as much as we all love big men, let's be honest, we like to see 100 threes a game rather than 100 layups. Um, so <laughs> this will be a very interesting, fun game. It might not actually be a high-scoring game because both of these teams are not necessarily the most efficient teams offensively. But they are both very good offensively, and I think they definitely deserve to be here. Uh, and look, uh, Oregon State's on a great run. The Pac-12 in general is on a great run. And maybe Oregon State continues it, but I think I'd still have to say Houston for this one. All right, and in the second game on Monday night, number one-seeded Baylor takes on number three-seeded Arkansas for the South Region Championship. I, I breezed a little bit over this before. I, I think Baylor has this game locked up. I think... There are a few a few matchups that maybe wouldn't be very good for Baylor, um, but I don't think Arkansas is the matchup that breaks their defense. I think Arkansas, frankly, 
Baylor can just look at this game and say, all we have to do is play our game. All we have to do is have our three our three starting guards who are all-American level guards guard the other team's three inferior, inferior, well, very great players, but still inferior to Baylor's players, guards. And that's how they win the game. Um, and I think, I don't think they're going to have uh, a lot of trouble doing it. Um, Arkansas, a little younger is part of that for me, too. Uh, Debo Davis is a freshman. Moses Moody is a freshman. Whereas Baylor's got Davion Mitchell, who's been there for a while. Uh, Jared Butler is a junior. And they also have Macy Oteague, who's a transfer, who's also a junior. So they got lots of experience, and I think that's going to be uh, the biggest factor. Is you got three great guards on both teams, but one of them has the more talented guards, and they also, they also have more experience, and they're more talented. So I think overall favors Baylor. And pretty much everything else in this game is a stalemate, bench points, all that stuff. Uh, so I think Baylor, I think it will be a great game. I think it will be a close one, but I think Baylor still, it's one of those games where you know it's going to be close, but you still know who's going to win, I think, in my opinion. All right, let's move to Tuesday's action. The first game, number one seed Gonzaga takes on number six seed USC in the West Region Championship. I think, I've said this before, it's all Gonzaga. Look, there's no reason to pick against this team against anybody. I don't care who they're playing, unless it's maybe Michigan. Um, <laughs> frankly, I... I I regret picking Illinois to win the title. Not not just not just kind of hindsight, but just I picked Gonzaga in my alternate personal bracket for a reason. <laughs> uh, I think I overlooked a little bit too much, or looked into a little bit too much, the Big Ten success this year. And when you look at the tournament, well, Michigan has been the only surviving team in the Big Ten for now two rounds, and maybe even it's possible for a third. Um, Overall, I just think that Gonzaga has that ability to just run any team out of the gym, and I just don't think USC has that ability. I think they can do it to a few teams, but they're definitely not going to do it to Gonzaga. And I think that overall, Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley's scoring just isn't quite enough to match Gonzaga's guards scoring, and they are so balanced. They play through so many different people. You have Kispert setting up for threes, you have Suggs driving, and you have Timmy with his scre- with pick-and-roll points they get points from everywhere and they're deep and that's the most important thing they keep everybody fresh they have a very deep rotation and it's not they're not playing scrubs they are playing very very good players they're playing transfers who were starters at other schools they're playing they're playing guys who've been in their program for forever Gonzaga is deserving of this one seed they're deserving frankly if they don't get 30 wins, it would be a disappointment because they are probably one of the best teams of all time, even if they don't win the title. So if they were not to get 30 wins because of the lack of a non-conference this year, I'd feel very bad for them. 29-1 and would be an awful number to end on, but I think they're going to go 30-0. All right, and finally, the final game to determine the final slot in the Final Four, Tuesday night, number one-seeded Michigan takes on number 11-seeded UCLA for the East Region Championship. Ah, the TV Revenue Classic. Um, this game will be amazing. Uh, really, I, I feel almost like the same way that I feel about Baylor-Arkansas, is that I feel like all the matchups... Michigan has played two games where they've had matchups that really don't go quite in their favor. Um, Michigan has, has troubles with bigger guards, and they had to play two guards who are in the first round projections against LSU. And that, I mean, frankly, in the first half against Cam Thomas, Cam Thomas was just scoring everything. But regardless of that, that was a tough matchup. Then you got Florida State, who's long and has a big man, has a very good big man. Deep who, rotation. And a very deep rotation, which is something Michigan does not have, only plays an eight-man rotation. 
and they're long and they stop the and they stop the drives and they stop drives a lot. They really trap you, collapse on you in the paint a lot. And they got through that matchup, and I just think I don't see. I think UCLA is a is a very even matchup for Michigan. Uh, there's no positional advantages, I would say, really that that are huge in this game, except for one. But I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um, but overall, I just think that Michigan. Look, they're one seed for a reason. UCLA was an 11 seed for a reason. Michigan has the talent advantage. I think Mick Cronin has outcoached every single every single team he's played, but I don't think that he can outcoach Jawan Howard. Um, Michigan's system is just so effective, and frankly, how do you guard a pick and roll if your tallest guy on your team is six seven? And how do you guard the other team seven one guy? Look, Florida State has trouble with it. They have a seven footer. They have multiple seven footers. They have a six nine guy who has a seven three wingspan, and they couldn't guard pick and rolls. So how does UCLA expect to do it with six seven at their center? I don't think they can. All right. Well, um, we talked a little about this. Uh, now we will, maybe the answer we just talked about. We talked about in the past. Um, that the national championship winner wasn't in the top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency in Ken Palm only one time since 2002. This year, prior to the tournament, it meant it had to be Gonzaga, Michigan, Illinois, or Houston. During the course of the tournament, USC has moved into that territory. So we lost Illinois from the group, but we had this group of four, Gonzaga, Michigan, Houston, USC. They make up four of the final eight teams. And so since we know that USC or Gonzaga is going to make it, You've already said, you've answered my question about will the other two make it. You've said yes. So that means three out of the final four teams that uh, you believe will be in the final four were in the Ken Palm top 20. Uh, that means that if only Baylor, only Baylor could break that streak. Does this Or Arkansas, hold? yes. Well, Whoever, somebody has to correct. come from that game to do yeah, it. Yeah, assuming you're correct. Uh, does, does, does the streak continue this year? And that includes USC. I, I think it does. I think it's very, very easy. I think it definitely does. Um, Baylor, the whole tournament has been the team that could break it because they, they frankly, they should have been in it. Uh, they just had a few bad games towards the end of the season. And if you look at USC, they were barely outside of it for all of the season and then played a few good games in the tournament and moved into it. So it's not entirely impossible. Frankly, if Baylor plays a great game against Arkansas, I'm not they so sure they, they I'm not so sure they they stay out of it. They're at 27th in defensive efficiency right now. They are close. They're really really close to jumping a few of those last few teams. And also every other team that's anywhere near that realm is idle. So they're only jumping teams that aren't playing. Um it's possible that you that if Baylor say Arkansas scores 55 points, Baylor moves into that category. Now you have a guaranteed champion from there. I think the stats got to hold up, mainly because I think the champion, if what I just predicted is true, I think the champion comes out of whoever wins the Gonzaga-Michigan game. Because either Gonzaga beating Michigan, to me, would prove that they are the best team in the country. The the final the final piece to the puzzle of the really, really great win. They've had some good wins all year, but this would be the really, really great win. And anybody who can beat Gonzaga is the best team in the country. So if Michigan beats Gonzaga, they're the best team. If Gonzaga wins, I think Gonzaga even more enforces that they are the best team and they're still playing like it. So I think champion comes from whoever wins that, whoever wins on that side and gets the championship from there. All right. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, April 2nd, where we will continue to talk in depth about the NCAA basketball tournament including an in-depth preview of the final four matchups that, that will be on that following Saturday. Um, and we're going to do something different. We're going to talk a little baseball. 
um, on the next podcast. The 2021 NBL, MLB season will start is, the day before. Start it will have started the day before, and um, we're gonna we're gonna transition over to baseball. We got some homework to do. We've been paying so much attention to basketball these past few weeks. The season kind of snuck up on us, but we'll be prepared. And uh, MLB talk will be a regular part of our podcast. Well, in the meantime, uh, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games. That will be up on the website on Thursday, and that website is 4than24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.